Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am Brandon Goldner, and with me, as always, it is Ryan Whitledge. Ryan, what is up, man? Not much, not much. Uh, just got off work like an hour ago. This may be the quickest I've ever showered and rearranged my living room in order to record this stupid little podcast uh, in, in the history of uh, things. But yeah, I'm here. I don't believe that you showered because I know when we started, you had like a giant fleck of something in your beard. I think it you said was- it was a because I was eating a sandwich. You leave my McChicken habits alone. You need to pull a Kramer and start preparing and eating your food in the shower. Uh, with us, we have Steve DeWald. He is the co-host of the Church of Roy podcast and, of course, the associate editor at my alma mater, Blazer's Edge. Steve, what is happening? Hey, fellas. I made sure I made my salad in the shower before I got on the show. <laughs> Just really consolidated time, so we're good to go for tonight. But There is yeah. a joke there. Do you have the garbage disposal in the drain, though? Because that's, yeah, that's how you have to do it. Yeah. So, otherwise, it's a huge mess. That's what clinched and, it for Kramer, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, beautiful day here. Uh, obviously, the Blazers are still blazering things right now. So we're all kind of living in that world. So, but I'm happy here to talk to, to both of you. We were, me and Brandon were two ships kind of crossing in the night at Blazers edge. And, uh, Ryan, I've, I've known for quite a while now, one of, one of my OG podcast guys. Heck yeah. No, we, we appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, I am thankful that you are here because as much as my voice may, um, may be lying right now because I'm basically screaming at the microphone. I'm actually pretty exhausted. I set a personal record run yesterday. Longest run of my life. 16 miles. I am definitely sore. Who was um, chasing you? A Why? bear. Uh, several uh, bears. I, I hope so. There is zero reason to run that far otherwise. It was, you know, actually I felt pretty good. I have a lot to brag about with that, but all of this is just to say my joints are feeling good. My tendons are feeling good. Like my muscles are sore. My entire soul is sore. Um, but to supplement, I am drinking... Uh, grape crystal light, which is really weird, but it's extra weird because I found out it is caffeinated. So yes, like I'm going to pretend to be full of energy because now I'm now sucking down some um, basically aspartame caffeine fruit punch. (laughs) I mean, I I can't, I can't judge. I have, I have a diet Pepsi and a beer. Oh, see, I almost almost went the beer. I'm just water. I've been working on my underground sprinklers for the last couple hours. Of course, my, my father came in from the east side of the state. My, my parents are here visiting. And I, I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but when you have a yard and your dad prides himself on how green his is on the eastern side of the state, if there's one small patch that's not getting water, we have been carefully dissecting the rotation planes for all my sprinklers all morning so i am getting water beer later i have never gotten my ass chewed more in my life than when my grandpa came out for like a year year and a half and i was like 13 years old uh from minnesota to come stay with me and my mom and he decided to come help me do yard work and by help that means yell and hit me with a stick and tell me everything (laughs) i was doing wrong I, I will say my, my father has chilled way out since uh, he's become a grandpa. So it is cool to kind of see this. And, and it's funny because I, I want to take my daughter and go like, this isn't always like this. <laughs> but but uh, no, it's been a very pot. I always love it when he comes to visit now. So uh, yeah, yeah. Get, getting all the, to, the to do list because my wife is now my, my father's favorite child. So we got to make sure everything's Classic. good good on that front. Don't they have those services now that you can like pay people to come out and paint your lawn to make it look like it's green, <laughs> even though it's not? I feel like that's what I would do. It's like, oh yeah, it's totally green. Yeah, just yeah. go AstroTurf. You need AstroTurf. You can put in the putting green. <laughs> when I lived in Arizona, it, you know, I was always very jealous of the, the AstroTurf yard. So I, I'm, you know, if, if climate change continues to trend this way, I think we'll all be having AstroTurf yards here real shortly. Oh, the Brady Bunch fantasy has finally, finally come to light because of climate change. Uh, Ryan, I actually don't know where we're starting this show. I have some things I want to talk about. I'm sure that we all do, but maybe I'll just hand the keys of this boat over to you. I and- texted you earlier and said you're captaining this damn ship. Did you really? Okay. I did. So the first thing that you wanted to talk about, my phone is over there and I can't reach it. Um, I know Jason what I Quick, wanted to talk about. The Jason Quick article is where I wanted to start and kind of because that, I mean, that we've, we've had these assumptions with the Dame press conference and everything that's been going on. And, you know, the, the Henry Abbott, you know, that no name writer that nobody ever heard of. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that was one of the most upset, like of all the things that have been upsetting, like obviously there's some very important things that should be upsetting, but of like the minor things that should be upsetting. I think people being not knowing who Henry Abbott was, 
upset me the most of the minor things that we should be upset about. Like that was, I was like, come on people. Yeah. The that amount was, of times that I saw art, this dude's just trying to make a name for himself. No, pretty sure he made a name for himself when he created blogging about a sport on ESPN. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> By the way, I heard through the grapevine of grapevines that, I mean, we already assume this, but I, I believe that the source Henry Abbott had for that, that original report uh, was a good source. I'll just leave it there. I wanted to actually ask Steve something before we get into the specifics of the Jason Quick article. I have contended that it seems to me lately, Jason Quick has been pretty easy on Neil Olshay, frankly. Like I've been vocal on Twitter, or was at least in the last couple months, about it doesn't seem as though Jason Quick is being particularly critical of Neil Olshay. And I wanted to ask, because Ryan has his own opinion, which is wrong. Uh, do you get that same impression? <laughs> well, because with this article, I kind of felt the same thing yet again. I don't know. Quick was asked this question the other day and By gave who? an answer. Oh, well, I'll, just, well, I'll let Steve okay. go first. Yeah, but, okay. uh, so I, I think, let, let's face it, when we were really kind of getting the news that, that Terry Stoss was probably on his way out several months ago, it, it was Jason Quick who brought a lot of that news to the table and really drew that hard line and, and fueled part, that segment of the fan base. It was, and, and he legitimized a lot of that. And also, I mean, some of the results on the floor. I mean, let's face it, this is more of a gray area. This is not a black and white thing. There is roster construction and coaching, but he, Jason Quick's articles definitely kind of fueled the fire for one side and legitimized a lot of those arguments. So, yeah, I do believe he has been more favorable to Neil O'Shea, but I think even with this article, and I think we'll get into it a little later, but what he's saying, yes, it's a little more flowery about what the Blazers are doing, but it's really the same information at this point that a lot of other outlets are saying. You just kind of got to wade through some more framing that might be and as a journalist, I don't want to criticize Jason Quick too much because no, yeah. with, with this Blazers regime, you you kind of have to do that sort of stuff to have the information that Jason Quick is bringing to the table. It's our job once it's there to to sort through it and make sure that we're so we we can get the true message and he can continue to to go after what he's looking for. And I totally get that you can't burn your relationships with people because that's that's his livelihood is having those working relationships so i i I do understand that so yeah i think that that's fair um ryan what were you gonna say so he got asked that he does his weekly radio hit for 1080 the fan they have them all between like 15 30 minutes or whatnot with uh isaac and souk on prime time and uh he's either on at like 3 30 or 5 30 it depends on when the uh when the angels play (laughs) (laughs) well he was early this week because i think it was like his wife's his wife's birthday i believe is what yeah he was running around prepping for his wife's birthday but i think rob actually called him out and was like dude are you an old shea truther like are, are you just like the old shea mouthpiece because that's what it feels like and and he he did give like kind of the canned answer of like well you know yes and no and the yes part of that was you know i can't necessarily burn the bridges and and whatnot but the no and he kind of references before remember he was like go from nbc sports northwest because he was being too critical of the team so blazers management came down and said get him off the damn air. And then that's when he went over to the athletic. Um, But you know, it's kind of like with what Steve said, there's kiss assing and in everything and in sports reporting and whatnot, you can't burn your sources. You know, he's obviously, but I've, I've never read quick stuff as that. He always tries to provide like the justification he's not, or, or the, or the reason. And it's not necessarily like a, a, okay, here's what Olshay told me he did. It's like, I think this is probably what Olshay did and, and not like trying to sell him up, but just trying to provide like, you know, give people a better idea of what's maybe going through Olshay's head at the time, as opposed to necessarily getting it directly from him a la Woj. I, I think though, with this most recent article, the part that did get me where I did question, I questioned why it needed to be in there was basically trying to tie this into a bow of inactivity could equal the 2019 Western conference finals run. And I'm like, we just watched this team get blasted by a, a shorthanded Denver Nuggets squad. I don't think really now is the time to go down that road. I think it's very clearly, it's so clear now that this roster needs some significant changes. If we are going to consider the Blazers at this point with Damian Lillard, a true championship contender. Yeah. And I think that's honestly been clear to a lot of people for a really long time. I mean, can any of us remember a time when 
national reporters said, oh, yeah, like the Blazers are a title contender. Has that happened in Damian Lillard's career? Like maybe maybe that 2013 squad, you know, pre Achilles with with West with West Matthews, like that's mm-hmm. maybe it. And even that they were overachieving a little bit up until that point, as good as that team was, that was the best the Blazers had been in Dame's career. Um, and yeah, and so it, the, the talent hasn't been there. I think that's been obvious to a lot of people for a really long time. And like you said, that Western Conference Finals run, I mean, they didn't have Nurkic. They got past OKC. That's great. Battled it out with 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 Denver to seven games. And again, they overachieved. You know, I just so I think it's odd to me that. Well, it's actually not odd. This goes into conspiracy theory stuff that maybe I'll hold for now. I'm going to give it back to Ryan to actually give us. No, a, no, give, I want that. Give me the tinfoil hat. Give me the, the conspiracy. The tinfoil hat thing is that Jody, this goes back to ownership. Jody Allen, she doesn't want to own this team long term. Okay. We all know that. That's completely fine. That's mm-hmm. her prerogative. The thing that I cannot figure out, and I've thought through this, and maybe I just need to ask more people. At what point is this team worth the most to Jody Allen to sell? Is it with an aging superstar with multiple years left on his deal? Or is it with a team that has a fresh start and lots of future assets? Is that a team that's more valuable to a potential buyer than the team as constructed with Damian Lillard as its best player? And I don't know the answer to that. And that's where I think that, like, when we we think about, well, we have to maximize Dame's prime. Well, yeah, if you're trying to win as many games as possible, if you're trying to win a championship, if you believe that Damian Lillard can lead a championship team with the right roster around him, then yes, you're going to assume that. But I don't think Jody Allen assumes that. And because of that, I don't think Neil Olshay assumes that. I don't think that his job security is dependent on maximizing Damian Lillard's prime. I really don't. I just haven't figured out, like, what's most valuable to Jody Allen. But to, to me, it seems clear it's not like slam dunk, maximize Dame's prime. I don't think that's where her head is. I don't want to get derail this thing too much, but I, I totally see where you're coming from in this. And I think for me, obviously, it seems like if, if you're an owner that's looking to sell, you want to hold out to see how fast the expansion comes because you want ah, that money. See, um, somebody who agrees with me, she's waiting I, for the I, expansion I, money. I, I think that I think is a clear benchmark. I don't think that's too hard to see. I mean, granted, we did see Minnesota sell this year, but I think the thing that I would say the owner is probably trying to sell is stability. And this is where it gets really scary for me for the Blazers is do you build around a pool of new assets or do you, you know, keep an aging superstar on your team? Here I think is the doomsday scenario is the Blazers try to haphazardly split the difference here and you end up with the worst of both worlds. Yep. And that is a disaster scenario that I can totally see this team walking down. Like I, I think they believe that they are okay with being just a repeat playoff team and not a true title contender, which there is some merit to that there. I mean, there is going to the playoffs every year. That is an achievement, but at the grand scheme of things, this fan base is hungry for a true title contender. And I I just am terrified that they're going to try to do this. Okay. When they do have to move Damian Lillard, is it a package that isn't a true rebuild? Are they going to try to piece something together with some existing assets and really try to rebuild this 50 cents on the dollar. And that's what really scares me about the future. Well, not to make this into a finance show, but maybe I'll lob this to to either of you. um, Because again, I I don't know the answer to this, but how much more money do you make as a franchise when you are a legitimate title contender and, or you win a title? Like how much more money are you getting from the gate from merchandising, from television rights. I mean, some of those television stuff is kind of already locked in as of now. You can't change that. Like, how much more profitable is it for a team to win a title than to just continue to go to the playoffs? And again, that's something I don't know the answer to. Maybe one of you two have more I, insight into that. I can't remember. It can't. I think it was per game, but every playoff game, I think, brings in like an additional $1.2 or $1.3 million. So if you think about it that way, you make a deep title run. And especially if you're, you know, the, the, you have a home court advantage or whatnot, guaranteed at least a, an extra 16, 17, $18 million right there. But I mean, does that outweigh like the penalty of going into the luxury tax to get a team good enough to advance further in the playoffs? Then like, ah, first round team, first, you know, first round, second round. Just look how, look how the league's assembled right now. I mean, the four teams that are in cap hell are, I mean, even worse than the Blazers are the Bucks, Clippers, Nets, and Warriors. And I think at full strength, any one of those teams is considered a true title contender. So obviously, you know, there's some smart people in charge, a lot of those organizations and 
I believe in order to run at that high of a payroll, they believe it is justified to do so if you are a true title contender. So I think absolutely it, it pays for itself. And I think it is, I think once you hit a certain point, I'm sure it's exponential growth that you hit this point where, you know, you have fans in every market. Now you are the ABC games, you are, you know, the primetime ESPN games. And now with Jersey sponsors and a lot of the other stuff going on in the, in the arena, you can market that, to those advertisers going forward. I I think it really just hits a point where it really accelerates. Yeah. And that's, so that tends to mesh with my assumption, which was the better your team is, the more profitable it is for all sorts of reasons. And like having a player like Damian Lillard on the Olympic team playing in China, like that must be huge for reaching international fans and saying, I want to buy a Blazers jersey now or, or what have you, right? I mean, CJ McCollum, his shoe deals with leaning that's also based in China. I mean, that's not, I mean, we're not talking about CJ, but yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's I, for this, I always just assume that it's it's better for the owner, more profitable for them to have a very, very good team. And in my view, if you have a player like Damian Lillard, why wouldn't you maximize that? But that's just not that's not how it's feeling to me right now. So I don't know. And I, I think there is there are extremes to do it the other way. But I think you have to go to such an extreme that the league has tried to eliminate that as far as having a cap floor, because we saw Donald Sterling with the Clippers for decades pay nothing to his players and let people walk without re-signing them. And he, that team consistently turned a profit in LA and they were terrible. So, but I I think the league has put safeguards and guidance in place where that's not the case. You were incentivized to run your team competitively. Interesting. All right, Ryan, why don't you walk us through this quick article? Um, Okay. Yeah. I'm just kind of scrolling through it. There's a couple little points that I, that I want to kind of hit on. We'll go in a little bit of the the order that he brought him up. Um, for starters, you know, it, it talks about how, you know, uh, Lillard and, and uh, um, God, why am I blanking? Oh, Shay, there we go. How, I, I forgot his name. Jeez. That's probably for oh. the best. <laughs> Just I, Sometimes I wish I could I, forget his name. <laughs> I long for, I long for that day. There you will know, be a day that we're be like, what was that one dude's name? He was like a soap opera actor. And then he ran the team into the ground. Oh, Neil Olshay. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> Waiting for that. But uh, yeah, you know, they sat down and, you know, uh, quick touches on that. It, it sounds like he's going, the plan is, you know, number one is to resign Norman Powell. So however realistic you think that can be, uh, if I was Powell, I wouldn't necessarily be on board with getting in, in with these uh, circus animals, but um, you know, resign Norman Powell and, and run back the starting lineup, but bolster the bench. And so I made the joke in a group thread the other day where uh, one of my friends or where, you know, Brandon Kennedy, he was super optimistic about it and had all sorts of high hopes. And I'm like, yeah, well uh, it's going to be an all in, year you know all in on the margins the old shea special and that's what it looks like we're gonna get we're gonna get we're he's gonna try to bolster the bench so hopefully hazonia is his phone breaks or something so he doesn't come back (laughs) but you know like if you're dame what are you think how like how okay actually no not if you're dame if you're all shea how do you sell that plan to dame I want you guys both to like put yourself in Olshay shoes and do your best sell job for, Hey Dame, we're going to run back the same starting five, but we're, we'll try to get you a better bench. You know, maybe it wasn't the world's best idea to pair mellow and canter together. So we'll do a little bit better. I mean, I, uh, first off, how dare you put me in his shoes, but, but second, <laughs> if I am to do this, um, I think there is probably, I think with Damian Lillard, he's always struck me as a very genuine superstar. I think one of the most genuine, I think when he talks, he means what he says. Loyalty is huge. And I believe if I was just like transported into that position, I would take ownership for some of the mistakes I have made in the past. And when you accept that you have made mistakes with cap space, with being a little too conservative on making moves, there at least might be hope that you have acknowledged these faults and that you're willing to move forward and learn from that. Now, granted, I have not got that from this owner, from this management group at all. Yeah. But that, just that real quick, I want to interject the definition of humility is a <laughs> modest or low view of one's own importance. <laughs> not. Yeah. No, we'll continue. <laughs> but I think, I think that's, that's what you have to do. And I think with, on the grander scheme of things, getting back to the Blazers is you kind of have this chicken and egg situation with Norman Powell and Damian Lillard, where Norman Powell probably only wants to stick around 
if Damian Lillard's there and then Damian Lillard only wants to stick around if Norman Powell's going to be there and this roster continues to build competitively. So it's just kind of this catch 22 where I don't know how this is going to play out. And I don't, I don't know what Olshay can do other than say, you know, made some mistakes in the past. I'm going to be as, as aggressive as possible, but I think that has some, some faults in it that I'm sure we're going to touch on as this goes on. So Olshay in this situation is the spouse who got caught cheating. Who's like, I'm sorry, honey, I won't do this again. I promise I'll be better. And then is going to immediately head to the strip club and do, and try to find another hooker and more blow. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> I feel like Olshay is the dude who's saying it wasn't me over and over again, because that's basically what he's at. Although I, I have to give the, the most small amount of credit in the last press conference with, you know, introducing coach Billups, Olshay actually did hint at the fact that it was, you know, his job to, to make the team better. And he said that he took accountability for that. So that was a, a minor shift in the right direction. Ryan, yeah, I have a more yeah, simple, good, good job. Whoever wrote that speech for him. Well, Hey, yeah, I mean, even sometimes yeah. the bare minimum is nice to see when you haven't seen it for a while, but Ryan, I'm going to answer your question a little bit more simply. I think the question was if, the only changes that are going to happen are on the margins. How does that strike Dame? I think the answer is simple. Not good enough. Period. And I think no, Dame made that no, no, no. really, my, really clear. My question was, put yourself in Olshay's shoes and sell Dame on it. So you can't just take the Dame's going to say not good enough. You have to convince him. So how would you convince him if you were Olshay, if that's what his plan is? I don't think that you can convince him. I don't think he would try to convince him. I think Olshay is, he has his faults. I think he's smart enough to know where Dame sits on this. And if ownership is basically saying, we don't really want Damian Lillard on the team anymore for X number of reasons and, you know, sell high. I mean, we've talked about that, Ryan, that if you're going to trade Damian Lillard, about now is the right time to do it before he gets, I mean, he can't get any better. I don't think, I think he's, he's as good as he will ever be. So before he proves that he's deteriorating before he gets injured or what have you, I think now's the time to trade him. So if I'm all shade, I'm trying to sell Dame on it. I don't try to sell Dame on it. I think that's the, the answer is you don't bullshit Damian Lillard. You tell him what's up. You ask him to just, can you just please be quiet so that we can trade you for as much value as possible. But I think that the biggest thing with this, if I'm Damian Lillard, if you tick through the numbers of teams that have a need for a super ball dominant point guard who have the assets to trade for him, who are in a position to take on someone who's now 31 years old. What, what teams are those? What, what team is in a position to trade for Damian Lillard and then be vaulted to contention? Because I can't think of any, and I'm sure that there are some, and I'm sure that one of you is going to correct me right now. So anyway, to answer your question, Ryan, I don't think Olshay sells Dame on this. If this is truly Olshay's plan, if this is not just, you know, something to say publicly because you're working the deck kind of behind closed doors, which is what I desperately hope is happening. Uh, I don't have confidence in that. I don't think that you can sell Dame on this. So that's a lot of rambling, but those are my thoughts on it. All right. So the next part and the next, <laughs> all right that's there we go. That's a, that's a no, great, no no i mean <laughs> i want to i, I, I want to unpack a little bit of this so thank so you okay bill me out i just wanted to move on so <laughs> fuck you ryan <laughs> sorry in my in my defense i got a work text about halfway through that so that's i fu- missed about like 30 percent oh, of what you you're said good. i'm just messing you. i'm sorry no um you fuckers <laughs> now, now i've lost my train of thought i i think w- with with lillard as far as what he said and and the bar he's he's set and i like like brandon said i hope that they're shuffling the deck back here but by lillard coming out and saying they have to improve in order for me to stay it's really a a self-fulfilling prophecy of they're not going to be able to do it when you say stuff like that because yep now, and Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report really hit on this today. Article came out this morning where basically every executive in the NBA knows the Blazers are up against it and they're going to have to make a trade to make Dame happy. And I believe the quote was, no one's going to help Olshay out of this Lillard mess. And I, if I'm a team and you and I've said this over and over again for the last two weeks, if Neil O'Shea calls me and I'm the other team. I say, give me your best offer and then double it. Cause I know you have to make this move but, and, and go ahead. Well, I can think of, and I'm foreshadowing. I can think of another team whose best player and coach through their second best player so fully under the bus that they had to back the bus up and then run over them again mm-hmm. publicly 
Like, so I can think of at least one team who might have a player kind of like that. And I mean, maybe we can guess who I'm talking about, but you know, so like they're kind of in the same spot too. I'm talking about Philadelphia, Ben Simmons, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know, like that's not the only example of, of someone who may be similarly desperate to, to make something happen. Yeah, I, but I think the Sixers are in a little bit different situation as far as what they can do. I think the, the Sixers can take a loss on Ben Simmons and he's the second best player on their team and arguably the third best on some nights. You still build around Joel Embiid. This this would be a scenario where we would be having this conversation about CJ McCollum potentially. But with Dame, I, I think it's clear he obviously is the best player in the Blazers and quick touches on in that article is he is a player that is of a talent level where he stacks up to all the other number ones in the league. So like you said, he's at the height of his powers. He could be the best player on a title team if the number two and the number three options are also there. And I just don't know if they can get there. And when, as far as talking about, I don't know what team could trade for him and still be in title contention, you have to understand that when Damian Lillard actually makes this trade request official, what a team is probably going to have to give up to get him, depending on how it goes. If everybody plays ball, that trade value could come down or it could be more focused on future assets. Like we saw with the Brooklyn situation. I think there are teams out there that can make this move. Now, obviously the Lakers are not one of them. Anytime I see a Lakers rumor, (laughs) you you shoot that into the moon and you blow up the moon. Like it's, it's not going to happen. You don't think Kuzma and Taylor Horton Tucker is enough to no. get Dame? Oh, God, come on. no. Come on. But I th- like. What if they I threw would, an Alex Caruso, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past Miami to try to get something done here and still be a competitive team going forward. And I think the Knicks, if they don't nix it, which it sounds like they are, are moving forward in a different situation. I think they're running their team competently. I think they have an asset pool that they could get a player like him and build around the fringes in that market and still be very competitive. And then finally, I think the Mavericks are the wild card here. Uh, I think you have a, a coach that Damian Lillard obviously likes in charge there. You have a clear-cut superstar. You have a team that has all most of their future assets. They have salaries to match it. I, I think they they could get it done and be at, the, at a much better level as long as they hang on to just one player. I'm just thinking about the draft assets that the Mavericks have. I don't do they have anything besides their own picks? I, they- I think th- so. The, I believe they're almost done with what they gave up to get Porzingis. So they're, they're going to recoup all of theirs. But yeah, they don't have a lot of their own future assets, but there is potential that they could add to it this summer just with how they're going to navigate potentially Tim Hardaway Jr.'s contract, whether or not there's a side and trade or or you find a like a, a tertiary deal, deal there. But there's opportunities there because they do have cap flexibility, which we've seen just through this team. You can pick up additional picks just by having that cap flexibility. The other two teams, when I think about who has a ton of draft assets, one are the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are not in a position to trade for Damian Lillard for a lot of reasons. But the other one, which is kind of interesting, are the Pelicans. I mean, could yeah. they convince themselves that like Damon Zion is like this amazing one-two? Because I, I know that they have assets from the Anthony Davis deal. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's depressing to think about. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I uh, I actually talk. I think the Pelicans are the most interesting. Obviously, I think if I'm going to wrap my head around any trade package, I think it is a brand Brandon Ingram based package with a bunch of assets. I, I think that gives the Blazers a chance to move forward and be competitive and have a lot of really attractive assets. I did talk to a, g- a good friend uh, of the always curious in the Portland market, Jonathan Sharks of the ringer. We talked about a little bit about this trade and his main concern was the timelines on these two players and how they line up might not just sink as far as Zion and Dame and how they want to move forward as an organization, but definitely an an interesting pairing. And also, like you said, very depressing to think about. Very depressing. I mean, (laughs) the one thought I have, I mean, the, the ages don't really line up very well, but you did have that chatter from Zion's family Right. That I think that there's some like some reporting that, oh, like maybe we're going to try to get him to, to move away from the Pelicans and they can't prove that they're serious. And so maybe something like this, like, hey, look, we're actually serious about winning. Like, please don't leave. Right. Like, mm. so maybe that could be it. Um, what else was in that quick article? I mean, besides the way that I mean, I, I briefly skimmed it. I'll be honest, I didn't read it mm. super deeply, but it did read to me that the Blazers are prepared to just make some moves at the margins. 
Um, was there anything else in that article that jumped out to you as like worthy of crying about or talking about? I mean, as far as like, obviously we're getting the same information on Norman Powell, that he is the primary focus. The Blazers feel like they're in a good position to resign him, but, but clearly there's going to be a lot of competition there. Um, but really the, the focus there, the, the real takeaway for, for me was, you know, the Blazers are probably going to move forward and move around the margins. And this is where I think it's interesting with the quick narrative. And then when you line it up next to what Pink has said today, because they're both saying the same things. So quick, at least makes it sound like, and this might be the old Shea angle that we talked about earlier, that it's the Blazers own decision that they're going to work on the margins. What Pincus is saying is the Blazers are being forced to work on the margins because basically no one is going to throw Neil O'Shea a lifeline here. Mm. And we've seen that consistently with him, how he's operated with other teams. I mean, there is a short list of teams that Neil O'Shea does deals with. And I don't think, and those teams really aren't right now in a position to bail the Blazers out, nor do they have any interest in doing so. That's why... For instance, the Sixers. Why, I don't understand why the Sixers would try to help out the Blazers at all with the C.J. McCollum trade when they know that if they make that situation unstable, they could potentially get in the running for Damian Lillard. So so I just... The Pincus and the Quick article are interesting because I do think that is where we are trending, where we are going, because both of those articles are saying the same thing. It's the Blazers have limited options and they're going to work around the margins. Which does make me, it kind of goes back to me then, if the Blazers are going to try to make a CJ trade, it's going to be with another team that's in whatever way, shape or form, similarly desperate, or maybe not like, you know, desperate in a different way that they, that this other team is also feeling some amount of pressure. I can't remember, was Daryl, does Daryl Morey with, the Rockets when the Blazers made the Rocco trade. I don't think he was anymore at that point. No, was he? he, okay. he would have just been out of there. I think. <laughs> yeah. Shucks. Okay. Well, <laughs> there goes that. Uh, I actually did though. I mean, if we're good on the quick article, I wanted to bring up um, kind of some mock off season stuff. So I don't know if you are a subscriber to dunked on prime, uh, the, the, the dunked on <laughs> podcast with Nate Duncan and Daniel LaRue. So every year uh, they do a mock off season, which is one of my favorite podcasts that I look forward to every single year. It's always Nate Duncan, Daniel LaRue. They have Kevin Pelton, Saddle Zone uh, from ESPN. And then they have, I think, Dan Feldman um, coming in. And basically what they do is that uh, Dan Feldman, Danny LaRue, and Kevin Pelton, they each take 10 of the NBA's 30 teams. Um, and then Nate Duncan serves as the player agent for all the players. And they run through all of the top free agents. And sometimes like this year, they started with the first six picks of the draft just because of the timing. You kind of need to know which player goes where in order to know what their needs are and and how they're going to be met. But I thought it was super interesting because in their mock off season, and by the way, I mean, this is like, it's like four hours of podcasting. Like it is a, it is a chunk. Um, but I always really look forward to it. Um, in their mock off season, they had a couple things happening. Uh, first, they had a sign and trade of Derek Jones Jr. to the Mavericks for Josh Richardson, which Mac. I thought that, oh, what's up, man? Uh, we were just going to pretend like you were here the whole time. Uh, but now <laughs> Ryan had to go, and I don't know what he was running naked down the street. I don't know. He was doing something. He's got, he's got more sandwich in his beard again. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Clean up. Ryan, That's not sandwich. We have pivoted to the mock off season that I wanted to get to with the uh, the, the dunked on podcast. Um, and just in time, because I'm going to go through it. Here's what they had for the Blazers. I want to get your opinion. The first thing was a sign and trade Derek Jones Jr. to the Mavs for Josh Richardson. So that's number one. Uh, number two was the Blazers were able to retain Norm Powell. Um, the number he came in at was actually a little lower. I think what we've seen is that he, he wants like 20 a year. And I think that in this mock off season, he came in a little lower than that. Ryan, you were going to say? I was going to say the, uh, the, the Norman Powell thing is number two, because I bumped that up to like step one in all of this, because well, every decision you make in your offseason is going to depend on whether he comes back. That's fair, except for I wanted to save the best for last, which was uh, the Blazers trading CJ McCollum and Anthony Simons and then a top four protected pick swap to the Philadelphia 76ers for one Ben Simmons. The reason why I thought that one was interesting is because Danny LaRue was acting as the general manager for the city. He was acting as Daryl Morey for the Sixers. And he called like um, 
uh, or he called like 10 different teams trying to gauge interest and they were running through who could they offer and how much and who can they offer and how much. And just through that, you know, it turns out that the best deal, if Neil Olshay were amenable and if the 76ers were amenable was CJ and Anthony Simons, the salaries work, uh, the, the Sixers get something in a position of need. They also get a young player in Ant Simons. Like, and I was intrigued. And so let me kick it to Steve first. If the Blazers off season, let's wipe away this Jason Quick article. It's all bullshit. It's all a smokescreen. Olshay's actually going to get on the phone and get some work done. If the Blazers got, they lost Derek Jones Jr. I can't remember what they, I don't think they even got to Cantor and Mello. Let's assume Cantor and Mello were gone. Fingers Derek. fucking crossed. <laughs> oh my God. You know, Ennis Cantor played a really important role for a Western Conference Finals team, Ryan. Um, and hey, Mello's a Come on. Sure. Give him a banner. Well, okay. That'd be great. Hey, we have division banners. So why don't we get a mellow banner? I think that's about the same value, but dude, I think me and you could get a banner in there if we asked. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. So if the Blazers off season, if it consisted of losing mellow Cantor, Derek Jones Jr., but then gaining Josh Richardson, retaining Norm Powell at like 17 a year, and then trading CJ and Simons for Ben Simmons, how would you feel? And I'm not, I guess I'm not asking if you think that this is instantly a title contending team with a new whiz bang coach that amazingly like coach Billups just like brings this team to new heights. But like, how would you feel about that kind of an off season? Is that like good, bad and different? What's your thought on that? I, I think it's definitely a, a different team. I think you're going to improve your defense drastically. What I am worried about in that setup is the offense and what Damian Lillard is going to have to do. We have seen what Josh Richardson looks like next to Ben Simmons before in Philadelphia. Um, I have serious concerns about whether or not Ben Simmons and Yusuf Nurkic can coexist on the offensive end. I think they, they step on each other's turf quite a bit. So in that scenario, you're asking Damian Lillard to do a bunch on offense and maybe they figure it out, but we've seen for this year, I mean, Damian Lillard's defensive numbers cratered this year. They took not one step back, but several. And you're looking at potentially those numbers staying the same for him. I mean, granted, you're going to get a little better because you're going to have Norman Powell on certain assignments and Ben Simmons. But I, I just think you're going to ask him to expend so much energy on the offensive end. I I do I like that it is a shakeup obviously but I would hope they could do a little better than Josh Richardson if that is a third move and if we're talking about me complaining about the third move here you know we're moving in the right direction and you can you can adjust that later but it, I believe if you do get Ben Simmons I would like to see another move where they potentially do something with Yusuf Nurkic and address the center position a little differently and maybe go get another wing player that maybe is a floor spacer. I think that's fair. Although Steve, I was told that once Terry Stotts is gone, that Dane Miller is going to turn into like a Steph Curry level defender. You know, he's instantly going to be go from bad to like average. Um, I think that that's fair. God, that's the bar we have to climb bad to average. <laughs> if Dame could be this an average defender consistently, sucks. that would actually be Fine. Like, I think that would be more than fine. Um, Ryan, what do you think about that offseason? Does that make you feel like if like, would you feel more or less hopeful? Let me put it this way. Would you would you feel more or less hopeful about the possibility that Damian Lillard would stay in Portland beyond this season if those were the moves that were made? I have a very low bar for my happiness for next season. And and that bar is literally <laughs> like you, there was, there was multiple steps here and, and things that could happen. The only step I, I care about in this situation is uh, if you can trade CJ and get Ben Simmons here. And if it's only going to take, you know, uh, I, I was crunching numbers here because I, for, I keep, I was getting caught up on the fact that Ben Simmons is making that much more than freaking uh, uh, CJ McCollum. And, and so I'm always like, why does everyone keep throwing in Anthony Simons, you know, or whatnot? Doesn't that bump the con or the salaries way up, but it doesn't, it makes a match a hell of a lot better. But if, if that's the only movie make, I'm happy. Uh, I've never necessarily been one like Steve, you had said, you know, you got to address the use of situation. I've never really, I, I don't know if I agree with that 
Simmons and Nurk can't play together because they both suck up space in the middle. And I, uh, a lot of people will reference like, oh, well, you know, look at Simmons and Embiid. Okay, well, Nurk's not getting the 30 touches a game that Embiid is in the paint. So, I mean, there is an opportunity to kind of clear it out a little bit. And you're giving me this, well, that's semantics nod, I can see. But, <laughs> but well, no, I mean, literally my low bar is take a swing to get any sort of player of consequence and Ben Simmons fits that bill. And I do that and I'm happy. And in all honesty, I could literally care less if it craters out and is an absolute abysmal failure because at least you swung and tried something that is drastically new and different. Well, like, I, Oh yeah, go for it. Sorry. Oh, I, I don't disagree with the last part. I, I, I mean, I'm all for taking a swing here, but as far as, if you keep Nurk and Ben Simmons on the floor at the same time, what's Ben Simmons doing when he doesn't have the ball and Nurk's on the floor? I, I don't, I mean, we've seen what happens when people lose interest in Al Farouk Aminu. We've seen what happens when people lose interest in Maurice Harkless. And you're talking about this on steroids with Ben Simmons. So I, I don't, I would like to see, I mean, I'm sure they could make it work, but to optimize the lineup, you would like to see maybe those two players move because you're moving from a redundant skill set in the backcourt with Damon CJ to a redundant skill set in the front court on paper with, with Yusuf Nurkic and Ben Simmons with what they like to do on offense, which is smart decision-making passing out of the high post and finishing around the rim. That's what you want those two guys to do. And if you can break that up a little bit, you might be in a better situation. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> should me, they, if, if you get rid of Nurk, should they go the, uh, the Houston route and go the Roco small ball five? I think your crunch time, if you have Ben Simmons, I think your your crunch time five is probably Ben Simmons <laughs> or 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 yeah. Rocco. Coin yeah. flip on whoever gets back there. First. But as far as the starting lineup goes, if you're looking for a minutes eater to go against traditional centers that play to start games and not these crunch time fives, you can address that in a much cheaper way. You yeah, can address say. that with, with the Dwayne Deadmans of the world. Yeah. So... Uh, that's why I say like, yeah. I would like to see that go in a different direction, maybe address the yeah. offense a little bit more from a floor spacing standpoint. Kind of go the way that like the Warriors did back then. You know, they'd start their center. You'd see them for like eight minutes a game or whatnot. And then it's Draymond slid or Draymond slid back and start playing that spot. Yep. I like calling him Draymond Green. Um, let, me, <laughs> let me make an argument that I don't fully agree with. And I have heard... <laughs> the best ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've heard some folks, you know, argue that if it were not for Terry Stotts, that we would see Damian Lillard as more of an off-ball player, that you'd see more player movement, more screens being set, more off-ball action. And so let's just say that with Nurkic, with Ben Simmons, with Dame... You're having people setting screens. You have Nurkic has the ball up at the elbow and there's all sorts of shit happening and there's little pockets of space being created and maybe one pocket of space. Oh, wow. Dame is open over there. Maybe one pocket of space. You have Simmons driving towards the rim for a dunk or something like that. Maybe you could see something like that. Okay. And then the second thing that I don't know if I fully agree with is the Blazers in transition. Maybe the ghost of Dr. Jack Ramsey descends upon the Moda Center and Norman Powell can run. Ben Simmons can certainly run. And we have not seen that from Damian Lillard. I don't think Nurkic could if he wanted to. And Covington looks okay in transition. Dame can, just nobody wants to run with him. So, so maybe, so maybe then, right? Maybe the Blazers under Coach Billups become this lots of off-ball movement, right? Like Damian Lillard looks different. He then he's less tired on offense, so he can put more energy on defense. And then the Blazers are moving more in transition. I don't know. I, I don't know if I fully <laughs> believe the words coming out of my mouth, but maybe, maybe that's one way in which it could end up working. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I want to stay away from the scheme aspect of this because we do see what what Damian Lillard and Terry Stotts did a little bit earlier when they had a little bit different setup personnel there was a little bit more ball movement I think and if I'm being honest I am not a, a huge pin this all on Terry Stotts guy but I do think that there was some level of relaxation on expectation and that I think let lended itself to more isolation ball and i think that was an achilles heel for this blazers offense at time now granted we're talking about an achilles heel of one of the best offenses in the league arguably the best so you are picking at it but you do see that energy level take its toll on the defensive end i will say the very limited knowledge we have of what coach Billups wants to do which it is very limited and we're not clear what his role was with the clippers because that is a loaded staff 
but what we do have on video with him talking alongside film, there is a lot of coach speak, but the stuff that he routinely comes back to is pace and breaking up backline defense with rolling big men and creating a lot of that almost spurs ass pace and space ball. And we've seen that kind of come to fruition with the numbers that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both put up this year. They both had career years as far as passing goes. So potentially, you know, we could see that here and maybe that gives Damian Lillard more energy on that end of the floor. But also you're, you're talking about a Clippers team where you had two stars limping to the finish line in the postseason as well. So let me just summarize what you just said, Steve. What I heard you say is that with Ben Simmons and with Coach Billups, the Blazers will be a title contender. Lock it in. Thank you so much. End of podcast. <laughs> so how much how much of that glass that you claimed was crystallitis vodka? Because I got questions. Tequila. <laughs> there may be a, there may be a splash of tequila in there. You never know. So with that with that pace and space kind of thing, uh, did you guys touch on uh, the uh, the CJ for a top four pick? part of quick's article while i was going no, let's do that uh, we, we did skip past that okay okay good because you well, know because if you, you literally abdicated the podcast you disappeared turned your screen off like no one knew where you were i was texting you i'm calling <laughs> the cops like <laughs> jesus <laughs> you know i just needed that other sandwich to get stuck in my beard i, I, I was still <laughs> broken up about that but i don't even think you're eating them i think you're just ripping open a bag of mcdonald's and <laughs> mashing your face in it yeah i tell him you know i care about the environment save the wrappers just put the sandwiches in the bag that's just all. give me the lettuce that you put on the chicken sandwich please <laughs> oh by the way i found out that ryan has never been to jojo pdx boy oh, get down man. to powell get yourself a sandwich get a 10 piece of the boneless uh wings or whatever god i got so much chicken yesterday after that run i ate like seventy thousand calories of delicious yeah. chicken it was just oh, it was yeah, great. you talking about chicken is what inspired me to get a McChicken sandwich or well, uh, I was say really? a McChicken. I I don't know. I just you should have think you should have driven all the way you know into the state because you know I don't know that you live in Washington. Yeah, driven but it was thirty miles round trip. It's totally worth my, it. My job site's like I could kick a ball and hit Moda Center. Well then, okay, you need to go to JoJo. Anyway, let's do talk uh, about uh, right, the CJ yes. for number four. Yeah, so so that's been floated out there. Apparently, the Blazers are turning it down. I'm kind of in the camp of like, mm, I can see that because if you look at, you know, like a lot of the mock drafts, and this is part of the reason why I asked you on, Steve, because uh, you are a draft whore, as I, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's you know, guard heavy. Obviously, Kate Cunningham projected to go number one. You got Jalen Suggs and, uh, and Jalen Green. Uh, the only one that I could possibly see that would be of interest to the Blazers in this case would be an Evan Mobley. Oh, there we go. Is Steve busting out his draft folder? Is yeah, yes. Do you <laughs> legit have a draft folder? Of course I have a draft folder. <laughs> this guy's oh. got a three-ring binder with, with colored tabs on it. Yeah, wow. man. This is they, unreal. I uh, I feel intimidated through the screen. <laughs> I will say, I, I always have two goals every year, is that before the draft is to talk to Steve about that, and then before free agency kicks in, to talk to Eric Griffin. <laughs> I, I, great, great. I mean, I don't know about me. There's a lot of really good draft people out there, but Eric is yeah, the but man to talk to. You're the only one who responds to my text. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Um, so I, I want to be clear on where I think this, the origination of this rumor is. And I think what we want to talk about here is in Quick's article, he says lottery pick. Top four lottery pick, yeah. Does it say top four in the article? He, he says top four. I thought he said top four on the radio show and that's where that came from here i you keep talking i will pull it up and okay i I could be wrong i could be wrong here but anyway at the top of the draft evan mobley is certainly interesting as far as what you want to do defensively in the front court evan mobley is a usc big man center power forward very much in the mold of how usc has wanted to move forward with their big men we've seen that with some of the guys who have recently come out, I can't pronounce, God, I name is eluding me, but he's the rookie center for the Hawks this year. Um, very mobile, very skilled on both ends of the floor, but let's face it, with big men, it does take a couple of years for them to hit the ground running. If they're looking for like a win now type prospect, this list is kind of, I don't know if there's something at the top of this draft that really is clear cut there. That makes sense for the Blazers. I think Jalen Suggs, not just because I am a Gonzaga fan, I think he is the most NBA-ready guy. I I think he can create for others. He can create for himself. He's played on a very big stage for for a Gonzaga team that nearly went the distance as far as being unbeaten. But 
I, I just don't buy it we're, we're trading into the, the draft that early. I think when you're looking beyond that, you're potentially looking at, at a Chris Duarte. If you're getting into the late lotto from Oregon, he's 24 years old. He's not typically what you see in these lottery picks. So I, if there's someone who's going to come in and hit a roll right off the bat, it's probably him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing him in those top five rookie discussions just from his overall production. And, and then I also, I think Corey Kispert of Gonzaga, again, going back to a Gonzaga guy, I think he is a pure floor spacer. I think he played out of position at Gonzaga last year, just by how small of a lineup they were. He's basically a shooting guard, small forward that was asked to play a lot of power forward in that zone defense up there in Spokane. So if you put him into an NBA system, I think he's going to thrive. I think those numbers are going to come up, but other than that, there's not a lot of, you know, short-term answers in the top of this draft that I'm seeing. There are definitely some attractive, prospects that you can potentially just pivot your entire franchise towards and build around them. And, and I think among those, the most interesting for me is, is Jonathan Kaminga, who is a wing player, a true shooting guard that six, eight can play small forward, can create off the ball, but he's a project. And I don't know if that's the direction the Blazers are looking to go in at this time, especially for a McCollum trade. Well, I mean, it would, and I think Zora agrees, don't you, Zora? It feels to me that if the Blazers, and I, I'll be honest. How about I, you, Scout? Oh, there we go. Yes, you said <laughs> last last episode, you said you're going to get your dog in here. I love it. Well, well, her mom's gone. She's out with the kids. So she decides to actually come hang by the me hang, when I'm yeah. the only one left. Oh, that's cool. Steve, and, where and, is your pet? We're going to need to see a pet right now. I don't know if he's in here. He might be under okay. the bed. Bummer. But so my, it, my, my lab the, is just too big to come in here. So, <laughs> in the And by the way, to clarify, in the article, he did say top half of the draft. It was on 1080 when he did his radio hit that he said that that was top four. So yeah. it seems to me, and I, it, Steve, I appreciate the run through because I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about the draft. That's why I depend on people like you and other people who are smart <laughs> and who are actually following this stuff, who have binders with tabs on them. Again, I'm just super <laughs> impressed by that. It seems to me if the Blazers are making a straight move, CJ McCollum for you know, a number four pick, uh, it, the, the goodbye, Damian Lillard, right? Like mm-hmm. the, it is so rare that you get a draft pick who is able and ready to contribute immediately. It, it almost never happens. Um, however, my thought was maybe there's a team. I mean, it only takes one who really sees something in CJ McCollum and his specific skill set and their specific team and you know what they have to offer is a, a number three, number four, number five, number six pick. And so then you get like a three team deal going and you have something else coming back to the Blazers. Mm-hmm. Maybe then, but in my view, if the Blazers are trading CJ for a top draft pick, you, you wave goodbye to Damian Lillard. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I guess. Yeah, if, like, just like that. if it's, if it's the top half pick, I think the team that is interesting me and, and, and Brandon, to your point, I think asset collection here is something you might have to consider. It, like you said, if that top pick is going to facilitate another deal, what? and I believe we're all kind of in the same mindset, I'm to the point now where I'm not expecting an equal return for CJ McCollum. If I can get more functional pieces, then we're in business. And what if it is a top half, the team that interests me is the San Antonio Spurs. We've heard already this offseason, Zach Harper has reported that they are looking to reform their backcourt. DeJounte Murray, Derek White are both available. That doesn't mean that they would come back to the Blazers in this trade. It means they could be a piece in a three-player trade. But if the Blazers somehow end up you know, with the, a pick there between 10 and 13 in the late lotto, and they bring in a player of equal value to Derek White and or DeJounte Murray, maybe at a different position that allows Norm Powell to slot back in at that shooting guard position, then I think you're cooking if you want to talk a a draft-based trade. But it's to be seen, like I said, after that Eric Pincus story kind of confirms some of the stuff we've heard in, in the Jason Quick article, I don't think there's any team out there that's really dying to throw the Blazers a, a lifeline here and help them get out of the situation that, that Neil O'Shea has created with with the asset pool for the Blazers. Yeah, the Blazers need to 
be able, they need to be the willing ones to jump in and be like, Hey, so I heard team a and team B, you guys can't really get anything done any way we can help to where that they're helping them as opposed to being the ones that are being helped. That's their, that's their best way to go about that. Uh, Another, another thing about the draft that we've heard is that uh, Neil O'Shea is probably looking at buying his way into a second round pick. Uh, Steve uh, bust out your binder again and break down the second round for me, whichever tab that is, is, is get to the red tabs. (laughs) Is, is, is there anybody in this draft that, um, you know, for one, if they're revamping the bench to try to, you know, help balance things out, could be a contributor, you know, a a diamond in the rough type, you know, in the second round. I don't know where he's going to fall in this draft, but Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova kind of fits the bill as a guy who can come in and play all the front court positions in a pinch. Villanova as a whole. Now I don't want to compare class to class to class, but they have a pretty good track record of producing this prototype player that transfers from that Villanova system into the NBA successfully. We we saw it with the the Suns this year with Mikael Bridges. We've seen Eric Pascal have success with Golden State. I think Robinson Earl is the is the next guy in that step. Now where the real dividing line is where you're going, well, if he's this versatile and he's this NBA ready, why isn't he, you know, a clear cut first round pick? It it comes down to a shooting. He's not a, a proven shooter by any means, but like I said, Mikhail Bridges came overcame some of these issues. Pascal's overcome some of these issues. I think he's functional. I, I think he's, he has done so many things on that Villanova team, as far as what his role is and what he is tasked to do year over year that I think he's ready to take that step. And then just as far as as looking for just a defensive-minded type player, the player I'm kind of in love with in this draft for the Blazers if they get back into the second round, if he falls there, is Herb Jones out of Alabama. Um, You can go back to mock drafts I had four years ago where Herb Jones was kind of this freshman phenom that might have gone pro initially. His stock dipped a little bit after offensive questions, but he put everything together at Alabama last year. He was the SEC player of the year, SEC defensive player of the year. He was the primary facilitator on offense for for a lot of it. Now, he does have some shooting issues, which is why you're seeing some of these guys slide down the list. He's also a senior, so there is some questions about his overall upside. But if you're talking about putting a competent player on your bench that could see spot minutes early and potentially rotation minutes in that second and third year, which is typically kind of the Blazers' bread and butter with these second-round picks, I think Herb Jones is your guy. And then finally, just to bring it back to the West Coast, I think Kessler Edwards is the last guy in this discussion. Pepperdine has played small forward, power forward, done a little bit of everything. An efficient shooter, has, like I said, played a lot of a lot of what I said with Robinson Earl is he's played a lot of different roles. He plays to his strengths. He's committed on defense. The question with him is obviously coming from the West Coast Conference, the level of competition he has faced before the NBA, but. If he's able to adapt to that and his physical attributes and his skill set transfers, I think he could be the the real steal of this second round. So let me ask, I know that there's a lot of reporting to sift through. And I think, you know, by the time we record next, the draft will have already happened. I believe it's on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Okay. God, this offseason is going to fly by. It's going to be October in no time, isn't it? Yes, sir. Um If you, with all the tea leaves you have to read and all of your various crystal balls, do you get the sense that the Blazers are going to make something happen on or before the draft, or do you not get that sense? And again, I know it's hard to tell, but like, I don't know. What do you think? Is something going to happen? Should I be looking forward to something come draft time on Thursday? What's the something? I don't know. I'm just anything. I mean, I, I, I'm I making it easy. I'm just saying, like, do you think anything's going to happen with the Blazers around the draft? I don't think you're going to see the monumental shift that a lot of people want to see. I, I think there is some, just from the reporting that's out there, and I think the overall mindset of some of what Billups' strengths were, is I think they want to see what he could potentially do with Damon CJ first. I mean, that was one of the big selling points of what he did with the Clippers as far as making Paul George and Kawhi Leonard work. Because let's face it, before this year, the Clippers, after how they bowed out of the bubble, like they were on the verge of blowing that thing up. So I think they're, I don't think we're going to see the big blockbuster move. I don't think Nurk has moved. If he is going to get moved, it might be closer to the deadline. Same with CJ or Dane, potentially, if things really go off the rail. 
to get to your to, to your question eventually is can I you think, please predict the future for me steve that's all i'm asking i, think, I mean honestly i think Der- i think this is the Derek jones jr window to see maybe if something happens with him it, it is going to be that contract and this is the similar type contract structure that we saw the blazers move with trevor ariza last year a little differently uh trevor ariza's was non-guaranteed money uh Derek jones jr is a, a player option so we could see if, I think if there's going to be a move, it's going to be that contract. And then as far as getting back into the second round, it's probably going to be a future second rounder and some cash. Exciting. Uh, no, Yay. I mean, and, and look, like I, I get that um, there are lots of different permutations that could happen here. And I think it, the more I think about this and the more that I learn, it's really going back to what Jody Allen wants to do and what she's valuing. And because she never talks, yeah, because she doesn't leak anything. I don't think I I, like to the best of my knowledge, I don't think we've ever gotten some reports. It's like, Oh yeah, it's coming from Vulcan or Jody Allen. (laughs) It's really tough to tell. Uh, So I guess we as Blazers fans are just going to have to embrace the uncertainty. Um, I think with that, Ryan, did you have anything else or we, how are we feeling? Uh, I think that about wraps up this uh, this week's edition of uh, As the World Turns in Blazerland. And I mean, and I'm trying to check Twitter to see if Neil's done anything egregious within the last hour as we've been recording. S- seems like we're in the clear, so I think it's safe to log off. All right. Well, this episode of We Are Depressed Blazers Fans are brought to you by. No, uh, Steve, we appreciate you. If people wanted to reach out to you, uh, ping you on Twitter, or find your work, how would people do that? Uh, so at Steve D hoops uh, on Twitter also at the church of Roy uh, at church of Roy pod is our podcast. If you want to hear more about what I discuss on the draft yesterday, we recorded with, I recorded with Mikey Weisenberg of perspective insight. Yes. He works under uh, McKay jr. Who was a former front office person here with the blazers under rich Cho, a wealth of knowledge. He's one of the people I bounce my middling ideas off of so a lot of information very meaty draft episode so if you're looking for that i recommend going and checking that one out but i I appreciate you guys having me on like i said two two of my favorite follows on twitter uh i think we're all making it through this off season together and i think it's a a group therapy session here that's the community (laughs) that we build is where it's where it's at right here and i think that's who you got to lean on through this insanity i agree and this is my attempt at like a group hug thing (laughs) but Steve, we appreciate you. If you want to find us, you can do. Oh, we appreciate all you listeners too. You can find us at like the blazers on Twitter. We like the blazers.com subscribe, throw us a rating, whatever you can find Ryan at the witty Ryan and me at golden PDX. And with that, that's it. Uh, Ryan, appreciate you, Steve, appreciate you. Um, Ryan, I'll give you the last word. What do you want to say? What do you have to say for yourself, Ryan? Peace. Peace. Go blazers. Go blazers.